Amen. Well, my hope is to not be before you long this morning. Uh, and so we will turn in our Bibles to the book of Matthew. Uh, we're going to read together Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. And then we're also going to quickly read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses, starting at verse 18. Uh, a very familiar passage of scripture, uh, the passage in some sense, which is uh, the foundational passage for our church. But first, turning now to Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26, as has become our custom, let's stand uh, in reverence of God's word. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Turning now to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, starting at verse 18. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The word of God, the word of strength. Let us pray. Lord, grant that you might guide and direct us this morning as we seek to live by your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would speak to your people on this day for your glory. In your name, amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Well, this sermon series has been called By Your Spirit. Uh, in a very real sense, it's been about uh, what I've been calling spiritual discipline. Uh, and so for the first two sermons, we, we talked about prayer. Uh, in sermon number one, we uh, explored why prayer might not just be a thing that we do, uh, and not just what we are, but the way of actually discovering the depth of who we are be, beneath our DNA, beneath the, the double helix, and beneath the, the culture into which we were born in. There was an opportunity before, God, before we were in the womb where God knew us and that God might be the very source that we are looking for 
to understand and live completely into and transform our lives. And then last week we uh, talked about prayer uh, in a sense as a discipline and talked about uh, talk, uh, about technique, uh, about our approach to prayer, about prayer becoming a lifestyle, and the idea that prayer can be uh, kinetic. This week, uh, we turn slightly away from prayer to talk about what I am uh, going to phrase in the words of, of Howard Thurman, uh, the discipline or the spiritual discipline of reconciliation. The spiritual discipline of reconciliation. When I was young, I used to play basketball. Uh, I had the opportunity to, to play on a travel basketball team. Uh, and so one day, uh, we played against a team from Almont, Ontario. Now I know what you're thinking. I've heard of that Almont, Ontario before. It's a little town on a little river. Uh, and its claim to fame is that it was the birthplace of, uh, of James Naismith, uh, the creator of basketball. So yes, y'all, what that means is well before he went to Springfield, well before he put up some peach baskets, he was formed and shaped in Almont, Ontario. And I had the opportunity on my travel basketball team to play against the team from Almont. Uh, there is a gentleman on this team, I won't use his name because this will be on the internet, I don't want him to find me, uh, but there was someone uh, from Almont and he was the star player on that basketball team. He was good, he was, he was great. Uh, he's probably still great at basketball today. He had one weakness, he couldn't go left. So if he dribbled right, he was okay, he was unstoppable, if he went left, it was a problem. He'd pass the ball away, uh, and then you could just protect him uh, so that he wouldn't get the, the ball back. And I had the, the opportunity um, to, to guard this person on the basketball court. And uh, at the time, and uh, some might argue even today, my, my forte was, was not on offense in basketball, but it indeed was on defense. Yeah, Rich, Joseph, I, I know what you're saying. His timing is gone, uh, but it used to be good. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And so, so I'm not going to use his name. So this gentleman uh, was playing and he would be trying to go right and I would be forcing him left and he was upset. Uh, he was talking about me. He was uh, talking trash, if you please. But he was upset because there was no way I was going to let him go left. And with everything that he said, I, I, I listened and I said, I'm not going to respond. I'm going to take what you're giving me uh, and I'm not going to respond to it. And I remember, I don't remember if we won that game or not, but I remember the next time we went to, uh, to play uh, this Almont team. And I remember thinking to myself, well, here we go again. I'm going to have to hear all of the diatribe from this person. And I remember I got on the court and instead of being met with what I was met the first time, I was met with a smile and, uh, and an embrace and, uh, and a how are you and, and, and great kindness. Now, I don't remember if he dropped 40 on me that day um, in kindness, but I do remember that moment of kindness and remember seeing and knowing and understanding in that moment that something changed in him. 
and I have no idea if this is true or not, but in that, in that moment, I thought to myself that maybe my meeting his diatribe with kindness was an opportunity for him to be transformed. In our scripture this morning, Jesus tells us that you shall not murder, but indeed if you're angry with a brother or sister, that that's a problem too. If you yell out, you fool, that you might be liable uh, to fire, that eh, it might be okay to yell out, you can't go left. Uh, but saying you can't go left, you fool, might indeed be a problem. And Jesus says when we are offering our gift at the altar, when we are walking through the traditions of our faith, in that case the Jewish faith that allow us to come back to God, and we remember that our brother or sister has something against us, that we should even leave that gift before the altar and first be reconciled to our brother and sister. Indeed, obviously, we are church that exists to see people reconciled to God and each other. Uh, and that is something that we do externally, and that is something that we do within our community. And this morning, I want to explore the, the possibility that this idea of reconciliation can also be one of our spiritual disciplines. How might it be a spiritual discipline? The first thing I came by to talk about this morning is the idea that our practice of prayer might be part of the spiritual discipline of reconciliation. That indeed, when we approach God in prayer, we are seeking to be reconciled to our God, yes. But we're also seeking to be reconciled to each other. Uh, that we need strength for the, the journey. That I needed strength to tell the gentleman uh, when, he, when he was saying all manner of ill against me to, to not come back and say, what I could have said, I'll let you leave that to your imagination, but instead to say, I'm going to stay in this moment and I'm going to focus beyond this situation and focus on God. Now, I wasn't that deep then. I may not be that deep now, but imagine if in prayer we take the opportunity to take all of the wrong that we have with our brothers and our sisters, to take all of the negative energy that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis and bring it to God in prayer. Or in other words, when we uh, approach the altar of prayer, if you please, and we, can't, we remember that we have ought against our brother or sister, or they have ought against us to take the opportunity and the moment in prayer to seek God's reconciliation and to seek reconciliation with our brother and sister. What if every time we go to pray, we take the opportunity to seek reconciliation? 
What if our spiritual discipline of reconciliation starts with our practice of prayer, starts with the very act of what we bring to the altar? The second thing I came by to let you know, and I'll be closing relatively soon, the second thing I came by to ponder with you this morning is the idea of practicing non-violence. The idea of practicing non-violence is part of the spiritual discipline of reconciliation. You shall not murder. Whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. Our human tendency, our flesh, if you please, desires in its depths to be known and accepted by God and by our brother and sister. And our natural inclination when we're, there is a slight, when there is an act of anger, when there is an act of violence, our natural inclination is either to fight or to flee. And my natural inclination in the moment with the gentleman uh, that I've been referencing, right, was to uh, was to flee at first in those days, but also to uh, to hit back. I'll say to hit verbally back, right. Those are the options that our flesh bring up when we see any form of violence or wrong. But if we look beyond our flesh and look to our spiritual practice, we might see ways in which we can practice nonviolence. Now, what do I mean by nonviolence? I'm going to need your help with this. I won't get this all right. But when I talk about nonviolence, I'm talking about nonviolence in the, in the Howard Thurman sense. I'm talking about nonviolence in the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. sense. I'm talking about nonviolence in the Gandhian sense. I'm talking about nonviolence that is indeed a standing up in the midst of what is wrong and saying in the midst of what is wrong that I will not flee and I will not pursue violence, but instead I will stand before my God and I will show you that here I stand. And in standing, you will be called to a moral reckoning of who you are and that you might be reconciled to me through the standing. That indeed this nonviolence that I'm trying with a little bit of your help here, that I'm trying to get at and understand is not a fleeing, right? It is a standing in the midst and standing firm in the truth that God is God and that truth is truth and that our ultimate desire is not for anger and is not for hate, but is instead 
for love and where you have acted in anger you are wrong but I can stand here because I practice the discipline of reconciliation with my God I can stand here and practice it with you so that it can be a powerful weapon to transform you in goodness and in truth and indeed maybe bring you back to God Oh, it's a difficult thing. I don't even know how to express it. I've been worried about how to express it this morning. I've been trying to study it, and I don't have it quite right, so I'm hoping that, that God is working and working it out in your lives as he's working it out in mine. But the truth of the matter is that we are called to a radical orientation towards nonviolence in the face of difficulty. And don't get it twisted. That nonviolence is not weakness. It is strength in God and I know I can't do it on my own and that's why I need to practice the discipline of reconciliation the third thing I came by to, to talk about as we think about this idea of a discipline of reconciliation of a spiritual discipline of reconciliation is to in reconciliation practice love as I mentioned before, the truth is, is that all of us desire to be known, to be fundamentally known by God and to be fundamentally known by each other, to be known for who God has created us to be not as the facade which uh, this world teaches us sometimes to project, but we desire to be fundamentally known by God and by our neighbor. We desire to be fundamentally agape or to be loved by someone. The greatest thing that God ever did, God the creator of the universe, the greatest thing that God ever did, at least in my opinion, is to know us completely and to yet say that I will die on the cross for you. To know us completely and to say I know you fully and even when you have chosen to be separate from me, even when you have chosen sin, I will die for you. Now imagine a God who would know all of your stuff and still say, I am going to die. I am going to die, not at the certainty, as I like to say, but at the mere possibility that you will see my act of reconciliation and that you and your will will allow it to transform your life. There is no greater love. And yet as we are called to practice reconciliation, we are called to share that love as well. Oh, when we're hurt, when we're tired, 
when we see the ways in which this world has worn us down, when we see the isms in our world and we think about our reaction to it, our flesh says to fight or to flee. And indeed, there are ways in which that is good. But our Jesus showed us a different way, a way that calls us to reconciliation, a way that says, indeed, as our founding scripture says, that God reconciled us to himself through Christ, uh, and through that, my translation, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, ambassadors of the reconciliation that God has done for us. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you must be thinking. I'm thinking it right here, and I'm saying it. When folks do us wrong, or when we hear the wrong that folks are doing to other folks in the world, how can that possibly be reconciled? How can it be done? Have you heard what they did? I gave a trivial example this morning, but have you heard what they did? By the way, it wasn't so trivial uh, those years ago. Have you heard what they did? How can you expect me to love them? How can you expect me to be reconciled? And the truth of the matter is that we gather here today as a cloud of witnesses because we witness that Jesus Christ did that on the cross. How can you ask me, preacher, to go and, and not fight or flee, but to stand in the moment with someone who has done me wrong and to say, I am not going to turn to hate. Instead, I'm going to show you love. How can you ask me to do that when I know that they probably won't love me back? How can you ask that, preacher? I don't know how I can ask that, but I can tell you that that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for us that Jesus Christ is our example, that Jesus had every justification to turn and use violence, but instead he chose nonviolence, that Jesus had every reason to reject, and yet he chose love enough to die on the cross. He had every reason not to pray and instead to call down 10,000 angels and change the situation. But instead, he prayed even to the point of saying, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. He, Jesus Christ, was willing to pray, Father, Father. Why have you forsaken me? And if Christ has done that for us, then I believe that he might be calling us as a body in particular to practice reconciliation as a spiritual discipline, to pray to walk in nonviolence and to love 
as ambassadors for Christ who have given us the discipline of reconciliation. I understand most situations aren't like my experience with that gentleman uh, from the Almont basketball team. I'm going to slip up and say his name one time. I know it. Um, most situations aren't like that. In my situation, the next time we play, as I mentioned, he was kind. He was transformed. I recognize that that's often not the story. And yet, our story is that we have been transformed by God's reconciliation to us through Christ and that we might by following God by practicing prayer and the discipline of reconciliation come more to the place where we can live out reconciliation in Charlottesville yay in Memphis Yay, in Boston. Yay, around Virginia and in Pennsylvania and maybe to the uttermost parts of the world. So church, I, on this day that I'm so excited, admonish you and encourage you to look at Christ's example and to turn our idea of reconciliation into a spiritual practice for ourselves in our community. To God be the glory for the great things that he is doing.